In this podcast, we want to dive into the paradoxes and complexities of the Catholic faith. Jesus is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. He's the same Messiah who drives money changers out of the temple and calls us to himself so we can find rest and peace. The gospel he gives us is beautiful and simple and at the same time challenging and complicated. So join us as we look at the Lion and the Lamb, the simple and the complex, and try to bring our complicated world into the peace and beauty of the Catholic faith. Welcome to Roar Like the Lamb. I'm Father Sam Kachuba. And I'm Paola Peña, or Paola, Puala, however you want to say my name <laughs> throughout this whole podcast. It's it's always going to be mispronounced in some way. Um, yeah. It's a fact of life. It's a fact of life. This is fun. I'm glad yeah. to be here. Glad to be doing this. It's uh, taken us a while, no? I was going to say, did you send him a no? I did. <laughs> you did? I threw in a no. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. We're bringing in a little bit of the... Uh, the fraternal spirituality into hey, this. What, what can I say? They've, they've influenced <laughs> me in different ways. No, it's it's really good to uh, to finally be be getting this started. Um, it's been on our minds and hearts for a while. And we're <laughs> going to say this for about three months. Yeah, it's been. It was an idea, and you really moved on the whole process for it. You're like, we're going to do this, and then we found, you know, and Chris kind of showed up, God given, God send. Yes. To so we have. You can't see him. He's not on camera right now, but we have. Our friend Chris McHugh here, who is yep. our, our producer extraordinaire, yeah. and uh, we'll, giving we'll his gifts and reference talents. him at different times and then fix it in post later. <laughs> so I'm pastor of St. Pius X in Fairfield, and mm. Paula is our youth minister. Yeah, yes I am. Which means that every day we're doing ministry. Yep. But of course 2020 um, decided to just stomp all over our lives <laughs> and interrupt everything and make it difficult. Oh, so, did. Paula, uh, the topic for us today is uh, what are the ministerial lessons that you've learned in COVID time, in 2020, in the pandemic, in quarantine? Yeah. What did you learn? I, I you know, where do I begin? Because there's, there's a lot that we learned here. Uh, I'm going to say the big thing which is probably one of the reasons we even began to even think about this podcast was just this recognition that you can sometimes feel alone in your faith or pursuing it. And uh, maybe you're the only one thinking these things. Maybe you're the only one who's struggling with these things. Uh, so part of the reason we wanted to do this was to extend and to extend community and to extend, okay, that we're not in this by ourselves. And the difficult thing about quarantine was you were forced into isolation. And you were forced into not doing what you know you do for a living, and that for me was the hardest. Was not living the call that I believe God had given me, and I couldn't minister to people. I couldn't walk with them, and that really sucked because the church isn't something you just kind of do or you go to. Like we, the people, are the church, and it was hard for me to go back and understand, okay, what is my purpose right now in this time of quarantine? First thing I learned, I'm not as holy as I thought I was. Oh. <laughs> you know what? You I'm, think, I'm with you. You know what? This is going to be great. I'm going to have so much time for prayer. I'm going to have so much time to read all of these like devotional books and these spiritual readings. And then none of that happens? One book was read. <laughs> One, okay? None of it was accomplished. And I was like, wow, I suck at being a saint. <laughs> or even, do I even care? Do I even want to try to be a saint? Right. Um, 
Because you're always making excuses. If I didn't have this, if I just had more time, I would be able to do this. And then what happens when you have nothing but time? You have nothing but time. You just waste it. Totally waste it. You just waste it. And so there was this huge, deep humility to be like, yeah, you know what? You're not that great. And struggling mentally, uh, that was a huge part. being isolated from people and from like human connection. And uh, sometimes I'll excuse it myself like, oh, that's okay, Paula, you're an introvert. You don't need to talk to people. And the Lord in this time really had me recognize this deep ache that I had for like authentic relationships with people and in areas in which I wasn't intentional enough enough previous to to the quarantine. And, And that was hard. Because uh, what it did was it kind of brought up all these insecurities and these lies that I believed about myself. Oh, that, you know, I'm not worthy of being known. Or sometimes people kind of see me and they say, oh, like, you're super extroverted. You're just a people person. Uh, but then, you know, for me on the outset, like it off on the side, I I then question, well, how many of these relationships are deep enough? Sure. You know, like people know me because, you know, is it like, do they just want because I can, you know, do information. I can pray with them. I can do stuff like that. But I noticed areas where I kind of put up a wall. Or I, I don't allow a lot of people to get in. Um, or I'm very particular about it. And so quarantine really was this call to, like, deeper authenticity. But the only way to get there was to deal with this ache mm. that I wasn't aware of. Uh, so that, that was huge. And the last thing I learned was that Jesus is merciful. Like, because, yeah, quarantine, you're just like, yeah, you know what? I'm a sinner. I suck. God, I'm really mad at you. And so you just go through this cycle of, like, being mad at God, being mad at yourself, and then you don't persevere. And then you just kind of keep doing it again, which is literally what the Israelites did in the Bible. Uh, they just like, well, we messed up, and then we're just going to keep cycling through this and ask for your help. And the Lord keeps rescuing them, and, like, the Lord kept rescuing me. But uh, it really, it really pushed me into this place of, by the end of quarantine, trusting god more than i did at the beginning nice okay like that he is way more faithful to me that my my call and my purpose will never be taken away because that's his it just it's his intention so as a youth minister i couldn't walk with students i couldn't enter into like the messiness of their life which i enjoy doing i know that i'm called to do it for the rest of my life and wondering okay what does this look like for me but diving more deeply into my my mission and my purpose as god designed was something that i needed to be rooted in more deeply Mm. to be convicted about more deeply so that i'm sent out in whatever way he chooses for this upcoming year Uh, so it certainly was a time of pruning a time of rootedness uh, a season of just growing in deeper authenticity. So yeah, a lot of it sucked, but a lot of it was necessary, you know? Yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah, what about you? Yeah. Well, I think that the the experience for priests in in quarantine has been has been unique. So we had that that period of time where there were no public masses and yet a priest says mass. That's mm-hmm. what we do. Yeah. And so on the one hand, it was very hard every day live streaming a mass for a completely empty chapel uh, and knowing that there were people watching. Mm-hmm. And so trying to kind of imagine 
who was watching yeah. and try to speak to them and try to say something that was of value in the little homily that I was giving. Um, but it was very beautiful at the same time to kind of be reminded of what's happening in the offering of the Mass, that, mm. that when Mass is celebrated, regardless of if there's a congregation there or not, we're brought back to Calvary. Jesus is made present. There's, there's saving grace that comes to us through that sacrament and through the celebration of the Mass. So it was, it was beautiful to kind of reappreciate that mm-hmm. and come back to it. And it's something that obviously I knew right. and I had seen many times and I was, I was well aware of this. But to actually, to actually be doing it when there's nobody around and to realize that, in fact, this is the time when I, as, especially as a pastor, have to pray for the good of, of my people. Mm. Um, one of the things, it, it's fun, and canon law requires that uh, the pastor guarantee that Mass is offered for the intentions of his parish every week. Oh, cool. So that's why you'll always see that there's there's a Mass for the intentions of all parishioners. Yeah. Because there's always, I have to make sure that Mass is being offered for the intentions of all parishioners. Mm-hmm. So there's it's a, it's a very beautiful facet of it. But then the quarantine, I think, brought that home. Mm. That when I can't go and be with the people, when I can't see them face to face, when I can't talk to them, when I can't do things with them, I still have to pray for them. Yeah. And I have to really make the effort to pray for them. Mm-hmm. And I have to be as present as possible spiritually for them. So that was a, that was a very powerful experience for me. Um, but it was hard, too. So you go from being a priest where you're, you're accustomed to giving the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. My job is to, as, as a spiritual father, I have to feed the people, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I can't give communion to anyone. Yeah. And so you go months without giving communion. That's like the strangest thing it's you weird. can imagine. Yeah. So something I was very grateful for is that while I couldn't give communion to people because mm-hmm. people weren't allowed to come to Mass and we weren't allowed to have public Mass, mm-hmm. one of the things that I was really grateful for was that during this time, at least here in the Diocese of Bridgeport, we were still allowed to celebrate confession. We were still allowed to hear confession. So we were able to set it up. And let me tell you something, I was blown away in spite of the fact that everybody's got to keep social distance and we're we're all wearing masks and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. There was never a time when we offered confessions that we didn't have a line. Wow. Confessions have been nonstop. So what that tells me is that there are there are people who are hungry to receive grace. Yes, they're they're desperate for that that mercy that God yeah. can give them. So in a lot of ways, as difficult as it was, it was also a really beautiful mm. reminder of the faith of the people here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the other experiences that I had throughout the whole quarantine was that, in spite of the fact that we couldn't have mass in public, I could set my watch by the cars coming into the parking lot. I knew exactly who was here and when because they would come in to pray. And so many people were coming in to pray and praying sometimes for a lot longer than I'd prayed on a given day. (laughs) And it it shamed me. I'm not going to lie. I was was very shamed. Yeah, I was very shamed and and humbled by the, the depth of faith and prayer that so many of our parishioners here really have, that they were coming, seeking out, time with the Lord because they couldn't receive him in the Eucharist. They yeah. couldn't come to Mass, but they came in another way so that they could that they could pray. And that was really beautiful. That was that was an awesome thing to experience. That reminds me of a quote, um, a prayerless church is a powerless church. Yeah. And so the prayers of the people, like Oh yeah. Well wow. when I was in seminary I remember something that uh, Monsignor Tom Power said to me. It was just a, a little reminder about getting into priestly ministry. And he said when when you're celebrating Mass when you're preaching, 
you need to know and understand that you're preaching to saints. Mm. You're saying oh. mass for saints. Wait, I really like that. It, it was great because he, he said, so remember that there are a lot of very holy people in your pews. <clears throat> yes. And many of them have, have reached heights of sanctity and a devotional life that you don't have. Mm-hmm. And man, it's so true. And I know it's true. <laughs> and now I've been experiencing it during these months. So that was that was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the challenges I found was, yeah, it could get kind of lonely doing ministry with, with nobody there. Right. You feel like, who am I really ministering to? You don't see the, the effect. Like one of the joys of diocesan priesthood is that when you minister to somebody, you see them. Mm-hmm. And you get to meet them in different situations, in different contexts. You get to be there at different moments and those key moments that you can see how important it is that you're there. Yeah. Um, and so being able to recognize those those very important moments and to know that you've accompanied people in their need is very powerful. It can be tough when you don't know who exactly you've reached mm. or who exactly you have ministered to. Mm-hmm. And that's basically been the experience of, of quarantine. Mm. No idea who I've reached. Mm-hmm. No idea who I've, I've been Maybe. able to minister to. Yeah, and left an impact. Yeah, but then as we're doing the live streaming, so there's this whole, let's learn on the fly. <laughs> let's figure out how to do <laughs> there's this. There's no choice. Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to learn stuff. Yeah. I got calls from people like on the parish council. One of the guys um, was watching our, our live stream every day, and he would call me and tell me, did you see how many people watched? I said, no, I, I didn't see. And he would give me the breakdown of, of how many people mm. uh, or how many individual views the video got. Mm-hmm. And then he would do the math for me about figure that in his house, for example, they had all watched. The whole family had right. been watching together. So if a video was getting 100 views, that could have been 500 people watching. Yeah. Our, our normal daily mass crowd is... 50. 50 people, yeah. At the most, right? Yeah. And the, the idea that there could be so many other people. Then I got a note one day um, from somebody in, in New York. And they said, our parish doesn't live stream anything, but one of our relatives goes to your church <laughs> and told us about your live stream. So we decided to watch. And it's been great. We've been watching you every day oh, since God. the quarantine started. Yeah. Here's a little something to support your work. And we got a check. <laughs> it was it was amazing. You know, so stuff like that happened. And it was, it was really beautiful. But I think the... Um, Learning adaptability, mm. adaptability in ministry that we, we have to shift gears sometimes. And yes. this was a big moment for us to shift gears. Um, so I guess that would be kind of the next the next natural topic, right? Mm-hmm. How did you find yourself shifting gears as we were going through all of this and learning things on the fly? Yeah, I mean, we obviously had no choice but just try to start doing Zoom meetings. And it so we, we did that for a little bit and it was great because Life Team put out uh, like pre-recorded videos, like uh, amazing speakers from across the country to go and uh, talk about different things. It was just, there was this recognition though, for me though, that youth ministry doesn't work online. Mm. I think the kids started to get tired of it um, because it's relational. I want to go be with the people. I want to be in community with them. I want to listen to my youth minister talk to me. One One of the students actually said, Paulette, we don't want to hear them. We want to hear you. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, I really needed that affirmation. Uh, but it, You hear that, Life Team? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not, not to knock, not, not, obviously not to knock Life Team. I love it. I love Life Team. But it just, for me, when that student said that, it reminded me of my call. Okay, like, like where am I 
using my gifts, my talents in the way that God uh, wants me to and how it does leave an impact for like a student to just kind of like, oh, this is what I needed. And and so we, we, we moved towards that direction and I was very excited when we can start meeting publicly, like in person. And we've been meeting over the course of the summer uh, and a lot of students like came back. We had a lot of new students join us, which was beautiful. And what was amazing was it could have been so simple to say, well, we're just not going to be, we're going to keep doing the online thing. But let me tell you, those who came, I have so many little God moments that if it's like, if I didn't have youth, youth group this night, would this student have been reminded of God's love for her? Mm. You know, um, or like another student learning, uh, we did like a teen leadership thing this weekend and you were there. And I was there. You, you, were, you were present, you were there. And so it was just three days of just learning about what discipleship, is, what is personal relationship with God? Right. How do you make that intentional now that you're like, you know, you're growing into maturity and, you know, what is leadership? And for a 15 year old to tell me, I learned that leadership requires suffering. Yeah. I was like, yes, yes, wild, like, yes. So though there was a pause in terms of relational ministry with students, seeing the necessity of it because God uses relationship as a primary means to which he wants to reveal himself to us. And me just being so on fire for that, just so grateful, like this is how he made me and I can operate within that. But the necessity of it, yeah. that you know, the online stuff doesn't replace this, uh, this connection to be in communion with others. Uh, and you take that a step further spiritually, like we're called to be in communion with the saints in heaven, you know, and and how our world, we live in disunity, you know, taking everything that's going on the last couple months um, or even before that in, in which we can replace relationships with things online. Yeah. Um, and really coming back to, OK, what does it actually mean to be human? How did God intend for me to be created? Because uh, if I'm operating outside of that purpose, if I'm operating outside of you know what His will is for me, I am not going to be happy. I'm not going to be fulfilled. I'm not going to be satisfied. And how this whole period was necessary to going back to the beginning and re-examining and being and growing in self-awareness of like this is this is who I am, but this is how God made me. So like I need to operate and be in alignment with that. And you're gonna find that abundance. You're gonna find that peace. You're gonna find that joy. Uh, did you but, ever find yourself feeling like you were out of practice with the stuff that you did, like out, out of practice with relational ministry because you're doing things online? I mean, I think my, my suspicion, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. You're wrong. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm often wrong, but you know, I thought I was wrong once. I was mistaken. Uh, yeah. No, I, uh, I, I would think that with youth ministry and with with young people being so accustomed to doing things online yeah. and to to having that that social media based interaction or just doing things more technically than my old generation uh, <laughs> <laughs> i am so old so elderly but you know You're what an i elder mean millennial that's what you are yeah exactly yeah. but but even just for me being on on the older end mm -hmm. um the online stuff is not going to be as relational for me. It, right. It's a tool. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I would suspect that typically those who would be participating in youth ministry things are a little bit more comfortable with that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the so the relational ministry might might have continued 
except that it's just now mediated in a different way. Yes. Uh, so it's still relational because you're still talking to a person who you know and who you already have a relationship with. Right. So you're still talking to them. You're still hearing about their life. You're still you're still part of it with them. Right. But it just looks different because now it's it's on a screen first. Right. But that's still a person who, if you see them walk through the through the doors, you know exactly who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you find at all like you felt out of practice? So when you were able to be back with people, it was a little bit odd at first to to get back into that normal relationship because you'd gotten used to the screen. Yeah. No, that, that's an interesting. That's an interesting point. I I was just really excited to go back. <laughs> oh, I'm 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 with you 100. percent I was excited. Like you're right. Like this generation knows how to do things on social media. A social media should be seen as an extension of ministry. And obviously, clearly, we're doing that. Like, this podcast is to extend our ministerial duties to the rest of the community. Uh, And and there's ways, obviously, in which teen culture allows for that. Teen culture. Teen culture, yes. (laughs) Um, But I think... We must be old because we're calling it teen culture. Oh, my goodness. I See, yes. I, I, yeah. No, it is. Way to be irrelevant, Paola. (laughs) I'm totally not relevant. But at the end of the day... It should be seen as a means and not an end. Right. I think that's where the mistake could be done. Like, yeah. I'm going to let this do the work for me. Or like if youth ministry people are like, I just have to have this program and this program will accomplish what I need. But it, I mean, you can have the best program, but if you don't have somebody who's like leading it with relationally or like trying to get to know students, that doesn't matter. Yeah. See, one of the things that I was finding was that I've still been working on mm-hmm. since we were able to get back to things in person and to public masses, for example. Um, preaching for me is different now. Mm. It, it feels different. Like, for the record, I'm not satisfied with the talk that I gave for your teen leadership weekend. I'm not <laughs> satisfied at all with, with how that went. I feel so out of practice yeah. doing those kinds of talks because for six months I've had nothing. Right. You know, for... From March to June, everything was direct to a camera, yeah. And so, just speaking. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you when you preach, when you give a talk, you've got people's faces looking at you, yeah. And so you you read you read the room, room. yeah. You get a sense of, of where people are, what they're thinking. Um, you get a reaction from them, so you know that this is a theme that's that's hitting home. And so it, I feel still out of practice now. Part of that is because even though I'm looking at people. They all have masks on now, so <laughs> I might be preaching to a congregation that, that's there in person, but I have no idea what they're what they're thinking. Yeah, I can't read their faces because they've got a mask on. That's a little bit difficult. Um, when we had the the masses outdoors, and and I'm really grateful to be back inside having mass. I know that some people might feel a little uncomfortable because it's indoors, but man, mass outdoors was such a disaster. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was beautiful. It looked to be, really great. It looked really good, yeah. and it was it was great. But I mean, the wind was just killing me. Like there there were days. There was the last day that I said mass outside I was literally holding the host on the altar I, I took the the lid from uh, from the suborium and I just covered the oh host gosh. because it was the only way that I could keep it from I'm not making this from blowing it. away it was it was awful oh, um, and then I'm just looking at cars so it was it was just like being in the empty chapel and just mm. looking at a camera because I couldn't see anybody's face oh my goodness. so it was like this isn't better <laughs> this is just as bad, but I feel like I've, I've been a little bit out of practice with uh, mm-hmm. with with preaching, just because I'm I'm getting used to having people here again. And right. something that somebody told me about Saint Augustine, if you if you read Augustine's sermons 
and you go and, and, and you read them, there's a, a sense of conversation happening. And that's because he's the Bishop of Hippo. Yeah. So Augustine would sit. The bishop sits when he preaches, right? So Augustine would sit and teach his people. And they'd be gathered around. Um, if you look at the ancient churches, there's no pews. No. The idea of pews is a, a very modern invention, right? Mm -hmm. So the people would be gathered around. They would come closer to listen to him as he as he preached, and and he was teaching them. And there's there's a a, a very conversational way in which <clears throat> Augustine speaks in the sermons that's distinct from his style when he's just writing something. Mm. When when it's just his theology, mm -hmm. you get a different sense from him. But that idea of, of the, the homily and the preaching being not only a teaching moment, right. so not only a let's clarify some point of, of scriptural interpretation, let's explain some point of the creed, but that there's something conversational, that it's it's the the bishop speaking to his people. Mm -hmm. I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice and, and I know them. There's something really beautiful about that. And so in quarantine, just preaching straight to a camera, and pretending like there's a congregation in front of me when there's not is, yeah. is it's a little weird. The other thing that I found is my celebration of Mass feels very different now. Like I picked up some habits that I, I can't break anymore. Um, like good habits or bad habits? Good habits. Okay. Good, 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 good <laughs> habits. So not having a congregation mm -hmm. as a priest has focused my attention on what is happening at Mass. Mm. So, for example, who are the prayers of the Mass directed to? Oh, no. I just I'm going to put you on the spot. All right. <laughs> to well, whom? No, to the Father. Right. They're always to God the Father. Every prayer of the Mass, except for one, yeah. is directed to God the Father. Yeah. The one prayer that's directed to Jesus yeah. is after the Our Father. Lord Jesus Christ, you said to your apostles, mm. peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Right? It's beautiful. So that prayer, and it's, it's directed to Jesus, who is in the consecrated host, is now on yeah. the altar. Yeah. So the Eucharist right in front of the priest. Mm -hmm. So I've always had this, you know, since I was ordained, that when I pray that prayer, I turn my eyes down to look at Jesus on yeah. the altar in front of me. Mm -hmm. But more and more and more, especially in quarantine and especially without a congregation, my focus on the other prayers was intensified. Mm. So the, the understanding of interceding before God the Father on behalf of the whole church, on behalf of this parish, was really sharp for me. Yeah. And so... The, the focus, and I, I had to do this for myself when I was saying Mass in our chapel and live streaming it. I couldn't look at the camera while I was saying Mass. I had to stay focused on, on the missile because it was the only way that my attention could stay focused on, on Mass because seeing a completely empty chapel, it seems weird to say, but it's super distracting. <laughs> oh, there's nothing there. Yeah, that's the distracting thing. <laughs> you know, it's way less distracting yes. for me to have a congregation to have people there. Yeah. But having no one there and realizing that my focus and everything about how I say Mass is not, in fact, directed at the congregation. Mm -hmm. You know, so... It's heavenly. Uh, who am I yeah. talking to? I'm, I'm not talking to the people who are here. I'm praying for them. Mm -hmm. And that has come just into the sharpest possible relief for me mm -hmm. in this time. That there is, there's nothing I'm doing at Mass mm -hmm. that is, other than when I give the homily, otherwise I'm not talking to the people. Yeah. And that's not to exclude them. It's just... That's not what I'm doing. That's not my job. No, I, I love that. And, you know, I feel people might be able to relate to that themselves at home because then you had to figure out, well, how do I worship at home? How do I pray at home? Sure. And 
you're more focused on like the parts of the mass and in so many ways what you were saying about how you kind of zoned in on a couple prayers i really started to love it's, it's called the colic right like mm-hmm. that and just listening to what was being prayed for and what was being prayed over me and it put you in the zone I'm like okay this is my intention going into this mass is i'm going to focus on what that beginning prayer was the collect and it, it gave it gave direction it gave you know this sense of purpose for the rest of mass and i'll tell you god is so good because god can do god is not bound by the things that we think he might be like god is not bound by the sacraments god god is limitless he could do whatever he wants and will always give according to you know what is available to us so we couldn't receive the eucharist we couldn't be present for mass i had the most intense experience where i'm crying over my computer because i was experiencing the holy spirit so much Mm. i'm literally looking at a screen and still i felt like i was entering into eternity yeah and it was incredible to the point that i've had powerful experience where i received the eucharist and i get i mean i break down into tears and god just allows for this moment to just uh enter into into heaven and allow my heart to know this but how though i couldn't receive the eucharist he still wanted to give that grace yeah. of satisfaction yeah. He's like, I still want to fill your cup. I still want you to be filled with my grace. And I'm going to give my grace to you. And and what I loved about it too was that <clears throat> obviously the sacraments are, I call them fire hydrants of grace. Like you you want it, you just get it and you're gonna get it. And if you're open to it, you're just gonna feel like you're just gonna be like, whoa, wait, that's a lot of water and a lot of like a lot of pressure. So much is happening at once and it's overwhelming and it's beautiful. But what I also realized for me was how even the word, like the scripture, began to be a place of like, kind of like that fire hydrant. Not not to the same extent where it's like, okay, I'm receiving this in the context of like confession or, you know, communion or being present at mass, but how God was saying like, you know, there's other places where I wanna give you grace. There are other places where I'm waiting for you to ask, cause that's all I wanna do. God the Father literally just wants to give us grace in order to be aware of his presence, to live in his presence and to walk with his son, Jesus. Uh, and that's when I, I really realized like God is so generous to us in the ways that, you know, like we're closing this down, we're putting this boundary here. And he's like, whatever, I could still do a lot. I could still make a lot, like a lot of things happen. I can still put you into this place of abundance. Uh, what I had to learn was, oh man, Paula, you aren't always open to this. So if you're feeling like you're off, if you're feeling like distant from God, if you're feeling um maybe you're throwing a tantrum which you had a couple times i realized it's because i wasn't allowing myself to receive I'm grace i was throwing tantrums oh no no I, I, was, I, I threw a lot of tantrums <laughs> there were a lot of visits to confession and it was in confession that god would be like oh right we're just going to restore you and pick you back up again and we're going to resurrect you good and it was so beautiful but it just was this recognition like i don't think i'm as holy as i think i want to be or i think that i am and I realize it's because I'm not always open to grace. Sure. I'm not always open to cooperating with grace. And I can get so stuck in my own head and kind of throw this pity party or, or, you know, what have you. And God has an answer to it, but obviously our sinful nature, our, you know, me, 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 me kind of mindset can come me, in. Me, it's me, like, me, me, me. yeah. yeah. Um, so to, to be reminded that. You might have not seen this. I remember we had a conversation in my office where you kind of walked in and you were like, you know, it's really hard not talking 
like seeing people. And for me to be able to say, actually watching you and experiencing grace aside of the screen has been powerful. Mm. Um, you might not have seen it. And, and I think of you know all of the people in, in the Bible who were told about these promises. This is why I always lead to promises, because how many times have we been promised things? And you know we just want to see it now because that's our culture. Just, Instant gratification. Just so you know, everybody, Paula loves to talk about God's promises. We're going to hear about this a ton <laughs> in future podcast so episodes. Much. That's all she loves. It's it's great. <laughs> um, okay, so I want I want to go with that because yeah. there's there's something there in ministry. Um, we can easily give into that temptation to look for the result mm -hmm. and it's so common for us to to want to see that what we did was fruitful yeah that we've we've achieved something um but you know after a while and after a while of, of being in ministry that looking for the result is usually a really bad idea it's a terrible idea don't do it because you, you might not see anything yeah and you have to understand i mean saint paul writes about this that I planted, Apollos watered, and it was another who gave the growth. Mm -hmm. It's God who does the, the really hard work. Mm -hmm. And so we, we can't expect that we're going to see the results of our, of our ministry. But I feel like, especially here um, at St. Pius, there were these little moments where it was like God just saying, you guys are doing the best thing you can possibly do. Mm. Um, so we got some of those pictures of, of people watching Mass. Mm -hmm. They would take pictures and, and, and show us. My favorite one, a little shout out to the Corrigan family, uh, was the the Corrigan kids, had. they've got these little chairs that they that they can sit in when they, when they watch TV. Mm -hmm. And the, they put the Mass on their, on their TV screen. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being on a little iPad or a small screen, they put it on the biggest screen they have in the house, which is a... <laughs> A huge move, yeah. right? Because what does that say? If, if we have to watch Mass at home, putting it on the biggest screen that we have says this is the most important thing that, that we're going to do today. Yeah, this room um, is now Christ-centered. Yeah, and so they, they watched Mass as a family, but she sends me a picture of, of the kids sitting and, and watching Mass. And then at the Eucharistic prayer, the kids flipped their chairs and used them as kneelers. Mm. And so there's the kids kneeling in front of the TV That's so dope. as they're watching Mass. And I was like, wow. They understood how important it was to even to have the, the postures of the Mass, even though it was at home, even though it was a very different situation. Mm -hmm. But they did that. And just that they, that they took the time to do that, that they thought that way. For me, it, it was one of those moments of saying, okay, what we're doing is, is good. Yeah. It's helping. Yeah. And not just what we're doing now is good and is helping, but... It has helped this family even beforehand. You know, our ministry at St. Pius and, and what the parish has to offer has helped this family to grow in their faith and to form their children. And so these parents who have taught their kids what it is to go to Mass by bringing them to Mass, yeah. they've, they've instilled in their kids something. So we have something as a parish community where our families are able to pass something on to their, to their children. And then their children, even when they're not able to go to Mass, when they're prevented from being at Mass, have this sense of, of doing something. There's yeah. another family, and I, I got the, uh, a note from their mom, and she said, their youngest said, I don't want to go to fake church anymore. When can we go back to Oh my gosh, church? I love it. I love it. I and love it. <laughs> I, I thought it was great. Right? The idea of watching on, on TV, it, it is. It's, it's good. It's helpful. Yeah. But I want to go back to the real thing. For me, those little moments of, of getting those those little indicators, the pictures or, or that little quote, hearing those things, seeing those things, it was it was just a little consolation, yes. a little reminder that all right, we've 
we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a long way to go, but mm-hmm. we're doing something good mm-hmm. here and now, even in the midst of all of this. Yeah. And that just gives you the push to, to keep going. I had this thought because you were talking about like, you know, how we were, you know, church had to go at home now. Yeah. And I was driving a couple of days ago and I was just like thinking about things because that's what I always do. I'm always thinking about something. And I realized a child's first experience of church is actually going to be in the home. Always. Always. And how we kind of flipped it. We think that the only experience of church is what you experience on Sunday. But rather what's on Sunday is an extension of what's already happening at home. So if at home, if yeah. that's the domestic church. And I just, I sat there in my car. I was really like really thinking about this and I was like, that's right. Like my first experience of church will be what is my family unit? Is it Christ-centered? Is it is it around Jesus? Because when I go to church on on Sundays or on holy days, it's an extension of what's already happening, and it's there to continue that what's already happening in my home to feed me. I I go for these graces. It like I just thought it was really beautiful. I was like, whoa! Thank you, Holy Spirit, for just giving me this thought. Because if I'm relying just simply on like, okay, not focusing on what I'm supposed to be doing at home, and I only leave my experience of God or my experience of church simply just to reside within these walls of St. Pius, I'm kind of missing this eternal perspective of what God intends for my life. Or what God intends, you know, like I'm thinking about the future, God willing, like to be married and all of that, but like what... How would I live that? And and it was just like, whoa, like, wait, duh, the domestic church begins at home. The church begins at home. Uh, and how God was kind of bringing people back into the home uh, like to be able to, like, rest- restore families. And, and that's... Yeah, well, how many stories did you hear about families that had been eating together for the first time in over a year? Yeah. Because they'd just broken the habit of, of sitting down together. Mm-hmm. That extra family time, because you have no choice, right. <laughs> um, has been very beneficial for, for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. And, and obviously it's not to take away from like others who are, are experiencing difficult family life. No. You know? No, it's just, it's it, just to say that, that to be called back to the family and to be renewed in that way right. is, is definitely something that God has done right. for, for many people. It's, mm-hmm. it's great. And to work towards that. Yeah. Like that's, it's, it's a holy place. Right. It's, it's, worth, it's worth the mess and, and all of that. Yeah. But. Can I go negative for a second? Yeah, go negative. Right. So here's, here's the negative. Um, I feel like in all of this and in, in all the difficulty and all, all the challenges, one of the one of the things where as, as a church, I, I think we are going to, for many years after this, really second guess ourselves mm. is actually the suspension of public mass. Mm. Now, here in the Diocese of Bridgeport, we did not suspend all sacraments, thank God. Yes. Um, there are places that I think... I think we're going to have, uh, well, I'm glad that my judgment on Judgment Day will be my judgment and not the judgment that some other guys are going to end up with. Mm. I'm going to say it like that. <laughs> um, Dang! Because, <laughs> they, I mean, there, there are places that forbade the sacrament of the okay. anointing of the sick, places that forbade yeah. confessions. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you do that. I, I cannot wrap my mind around it. Now, that's that's my limited understanding and my finite ability to comprehend things, and I'm, I'm okay with, with right. admitting that I am finite, um, yeah. <laughs> that I am not yeah, omniscient. Yeah, you are not infinite. You are uh, not Alpha or Omega. But I, I, would, I wouldn't mind being omniscient, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, no, the, the, the big thing is I, I wonder, did we do the right thing? If we look at history, 
and we see moments where mass has been prevented mm-hmm. uh, or, or public mass has, has been uh, outlawed for some reason. And typically, that would be in, in a time of persecution. Right, right? exactly. And, and what did they do? What did the church do? Said mass in secret. Mm-hmm. What did the church do? Bring the sacraments to people in secret. secret. Make yeah. it happen. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, we don't want to be keeping secrets, and there's nothing for us to, to keep secretive here. Um, but in times of plague and pestilence, where has the church been? Taking care of the plague and pestilence victims. I was really proud of uh, a guy who I was in class with in seminary. Who's uh, he's a priest in London, and I saw uh, the BBC did a little interview with him because he was one of the uh, religious leaders who was assigned as a chaplain in one of London's hospitals. Uh-huh. And it was this beautiful story about him and an imam and the work that they did in bringing comfort to COVID patients and especially to those who were dying, and then how they would go to the families because the families weren't allowed into the hospital. They would go and speak to the families, Mm -hmm. have a conversation with them, comfort them, pray with them, and then bring from the family words of comfort and greetings and things like that to the patients. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was amazing seeing that he was able to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, this was something that he was specifically asked to do, and he said yes to it. And he he put himself in harm's way. Mm -hmm. And he went and he did it, and I, I thought, this is awesome mm-hmm. because here's a man living out his priesthood. Yeah. And so there's a, a little bit of like ministerial jealousy. <laughs> I, I won't lie. Um, he got to go and do something super he heroic that was, that was really challenging. Being, yeah. And it felt like we were being told you can't be with your yeah. people. You can't be near your parishioners. Mm-hmm. And that's a regret that I carry, you know, and I, I wish that it wasn't that way. Mm-hmm. Um, because what are we? You know, if, if I'm a priest, right. then my, my call is to go and be with my people and whatever their need is. Right. And then to be prevented from that, to right. say you can't celebrate Mass in public, um, well then, can I do much of anything? Right. And then the, you know, the hospitals had strict restrictions on who could come in and who couldn't. Nursing homes, same thing. So like going to, to a nursing home and shouting absolution through a window, at, at somebody, um, for somebody, I should say, not at somebody. That's the <laughs> wrong way to say it. Um, yeah. It was it was a beautiful experience, but a priest goes in. Goes into the mass. A, a, willing a to... priest goes right into it. Yeah. And so it was it was a strange experience of being prevented, not by personal unwillingness. Mm-hmm. And I've been grateful for that too. Because I examine my conscience about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Has it been personal unwillingness? Mm. And the answer is no. I'm, I'm pretty confident that this was not like me deciding I didn't want to do it or I didn't feel comfortable doing it. I was, right. I was ready to go in and, and do these things, um, but simply not being able to. And that's a hard thing. Mm. you know. And then think about all the things that ended up getting delayed. Yeah. You know? So we've just finished up the, our funerals that were delayed because of COVID. And I'm so grateful that that's over now. And that now we can have funerals on a, on a regular basis at a, at a more normal pace because it interrupts the grieving process for people. And it's yeah. so important for them to be able to grieve and to be able to grieve well. Man, not being able to have, have a funeral mass for, for your loved one or not being able to gather with your family as you're grieving something, you need the support of your community. Even right. if it's only your immediate family members, you need that support. And then yeah. to have that taken away because there's there's this virus that's out there that's, that's so threatening. Mm-hmm. It's very hard, um, but I I think that that's going to be one of the big regrets that the church experiences for a long time is that 
uh, we should have been there. It makes me, because this whole time of quarantine, COVID, I just kept thinking about saints during the Holocaust and World War One and World War Two, and how they put themselves into harm's way, even though they were being asked, like, you can't do this, you can't do that. And you're right, like, where, where was, like, the church as a whole, like, our courage, our fortitude to, to kind of to step in and, you know, like, not being able to do some of those things. It's like, okay, like, this is my way of, like, obviously charity. Like, I have to put a mask on for the sake of those around me. Sure. You know, something as simple as that. But it was also a time where I realized this is, the, this is where saints are made. How did, how did I step up? How did I think of myself less to put myself, I mean, you know, and you think of like all the doctors and nurses who literally were doing that, you know, they, they how many people are being made saints because of, in, in ways that they got pushed into it, or just even at home, you know, moms and dads uh, kind of accelerating the saint process. Because <laughs> I know for a lot oh, of them, man. it was not easy, uh, but no. you know, there's, in every family, there's a saint maker and there's a saint. So, <laughs> um, wait, can you say that again? I like that phrase. In every family, there's, there's a saint maker and there's a saint. Or usually, it's usually attributed to spouses. Um, that's the way I've heard it. You know, there's always, you know, there's a saint maker and there's the one who's going to be a saint. So, <laughs> that's, I, that's a good one. I like that. Oh, it's so it's so good. It's yeah. So it's really good. But we might, you know, I, I like that. But I also think you're right. Like we might not see the fruits of how are people being purified and and forged yeah. in this time and well, so what then, the lasting fruits are going to be because of this which is then the next question is where do we go from here mm-hmm. having having done all of this and having having i think we've learned a lot actually yeah and i think we've learned both from our our strengths and from our weaknesses from our good responses and from our, our not so good responses um I think as a church, we've learned how to better leverage the resources that we have so that we can continue providing access to God's grace and to mm-hmm. the faith mm-hmm. in a positive way. So the just the use of electronics to make sure that, that mass can be transmitted to people in different ways has been huge. Yeah, I know that there are a lot of people who have started watching mass who had not had been attending mass. They, right. they had already been kind of fallen away from the church, but watching during this time because they needed something mm-hmm. not only helped them to, to navigate a very difficult and challenging period in their world, but also kind of got them back into their faith, which has been, that's really cool. Oh, yes. And to know that and to see that yeah. that's happening is, is beautiful. Um, so I think that we've, we've learned that there are certain things that we can do and that we need to continue doing. There's some things that we we can't do again. So mm-hmm. for me, the the big one is we can't have another another shutdown of all religious services. No, you know, we have to keep we have to keep our doors open now. Right now, fortunately, we've also been in Connecticut. We've been allowed to keep our doors open. Right, there's like been, not been like in California, t- you can't even right. worship. There's been there we haven't been told that you you have to close all your doors. You can't even have people coming in. We've been able to have people coming in to pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament to, mm-hmm. to do this. It's been great, mm-hmm. and I know that it's been helpful for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I look at this and I say we can't we can't shut down again. We yeah. can, we can't go back to having no public mass. This right. this has to be something that's available to people, even if folks can't come, mm-hmm. even if they have to stay away for whatever reason. We cannot go back into shutdown mode. It's too destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to me, that's that's kind of the where do we go from here? Is we keep going, we keep going, we keep going, and now it's the the invitation back to people to say, all right, we are here, and in spite of the fact that we haven't been able to to be together, we want you to be here. Yeah, we want you to be part of this. So so stay with us, uh, and keep coming. This is this is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is worth it. Um, that's where that's where I go. It's, now it's let's get back to it. Yeah, no, I I'm totally in agreement because uh, we need we need grace, we need the church, and also recognizing that the people too, like they are the church. Uh, that it's like the church isn't just simply a building. It's that it is us as well, and to enter into that uh, that mission to go and be prophets, a priest, and and you know kings and queens. I'm just gonna add the queen part. <laughs> Uh, but everybody's called to be a priest, a prophet, and a king. And this this time in quarantine is an invitation to, okay, what is it that Jesus has called me into personally, and how do I live that out uh, for the sake of the church? And, yeah, we, we definitely, definitely, I agree. We can't go back, but we need to go, we always need to go back to grace and be filled by grace. Amen. All right. This is great. It's fun. I'm, I'm glad we're finally doing this. this is, <laughs> it has this been is great. long awaited for. Yeah. Well, thank you, Paula. Yeah, thank you, Father and Sam. Thank you, Chris McHugh. I'm Father Sam Kachuba, and this has been Roar Like the Lamb. And we'll see you next time. Actually, we won't see you, but you'll listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> you might see us, you might hear us. Yeah, exactly. We won't see you here. All right. God bless.